CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you joined us. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we get together every weekday afternoon. At this time, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical perspective, and also what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again, 8888. Ask CSN, and we'll do our very best to get to your question today. We actually have some lines open, so if you call right now, you're assured to get on. Again, 8888-ASK-CSN. You know, many times when we read our Bible, we come across something we don't understand. Somebody asks us a question. That's why we like to be here each and every weekday afternoon for you live, to be able to answer those questions for you so you, in turn, can give every man an answer. And so we just want to encourage you, give us a call again, 8888-ASK-CSN, toll free. Joining me today, special guest featured uh, CSN speaker, Morning Times here on CSN, Daryl Skinner from Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha, Mike, and aloha to all the listeners out there. Great to be with you. Looking forward to another great program on To Every Man and Answer. And just Thoroughly love, enjoying hearing from the people and their desire to grow in the Word of God and their faith, and also helping to answer those who are skeptics and uh, uh, or those that are maybe a part of a cult. It's always great to uh, be able to to minister to them the Word of God with you and and uh, and the whole team there at CSN. It's just a great job and a good outreach and inreach for the body of Christ. And once again, it's good to be with you. Amen. It's always a blessing to be with you, Daryl. Looking forward to answering some of those questions. And with that, we'll go ahead and go to the phones. We have Eric on the line, Southern California. Hi, welcome. Hi, Mike. Hi, uh, Daryl. I just have a question here. Uh, Did John Calvin, Calvinists, and Reformers use the Geneva Bible? Is the Geneva Bible a good Bible to use? Uh, Do you recommend it? What are your thoughts about the Geneva Bible? Okay, Daryl, your thoughts? Well, um, I'm not going to be, say I'm an expert on the Geneva Bible because I'm not, and so. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of John Calvin, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm a fan of the Word of God. I I teach out of the New King James Bible. My desire, uh, my my, uh, I love the King James, but I send a modern, more modern vernacular, and it's accurate is the new king james so i teach out of that so i i don't teach out of the geneva i'm not that familiar with it mike maybe you are uh, so I'll, I'll bounce it back to you well here here's the thing regardless the, because the geneva bible doesn't read that much different than ours you would never come up with the ideas these people have by reading the entirety of god's word uh, the Geneva Bible does some magically way of erasing verses or whatever, because John 3.16 is going to read the same. The Great Commission is going to be the same. Um, whosoever will may come is going to be the same. God has his doors open for everybody. God chose the world, for God so loved the world. He chose everyone, but not everybody chose him. 
And just because God knows, again, who chooses him and who doesn't, doesn't mean that every individual on this earth doesn't have the right to choose where they want to spend eternity. So I hope that helps, Eric. Yeah, it does. And uh, I think, like, from the November election, since I'm from California, I voted no on Prop 1. That's the prop where they want to make in in the Constitution of California. I voted against it, and I felt sad. I was like, man, I want California to be a pro-life state. Well, what what you've got here is is I really the voting in America is so outrageously corrupt, and I don't care what NBC, CBS, CNN, all the all the the liberal news media says, it is corrupt. We proved it here at CSM. We have people call up. We have their names, addresses, where they got nine ballots, nine mail in ballots, where only three people were living in the house. We had other people that called in and said that they went and decided to vote in person. Uh, they brought their mail-in ballot, and instead of them destroying the ballot, it was cleverly and carefully laid aside, no doubt to be used later on. This is the kind of junk that's going and will eventually destroy America. Honestly, everyone, I believe if it was one ID, one vote, no mail-in ballots— our political structure of America would change overnight. But when we deal with people who feel that you can murder babies without any repercussion, this is a party without conscience. And conscience causes us to say, hey, cheating is not right. Murdering children is not right. But when you don't have that consciousness of, of, of uh, eternity, of God, or even what's right, I think the sky's the limit. And so I believe that's, we're running over and over more and more into these problems. Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when we look at the the movement in America, we've created a culture of death through through liberalism, through socialism, and through uh, the denial of of God to our children uh, from generation to generation, and it's tragic. It's tragic that there is no longer, as you said, Mike, a conscience within America. We have hardened hearts. We have hardened minds. We have darkness and death that fills the land. I mean, now criminals can do whatever they want in our cities. There's no bail. Uh, They just, uh, the police officers are, are arresting them. Then they're right back on the streets again because there's no law and order. There's no law and justice any longer in our land. It's, they're creating a, uh, a state of anarchy, a state of chaos and corruption, as you just shared about the election. And uh, we need a great, uh, great revival in America. I don't know what it's going to take to drive us all to our knees, uh, meaning uh, this whole nation. I remember when the, we were attacked there on 9-11. And, of course, they all they all got out there, the senators and the representatives that were on the, the Capitol steps, and they were kneeling down and praying because nobody knew exactly what was going on. But uh, uh, but that was so short-lived. And uh, so I don't know what it's going to take for America to finally turn and repentance and, and uh, have a conscience once again. Is it ever going to happen before the Lord comes back? I don't know. I don't know. We hope and pray. You know, we never give up. We never give in. We fight the good fight of faith till the end. So uh, that's uh, so what we see ourselves today. It's it's a battle in every state, 
uh, now with the, with the uh, abortion issue and pro-life. And uh, the, I believe the Supreme Court made the right decision, uh, putting it back to the states because that's how it's supposed to be. That's how our Constitution is supposed to work. And so now it's a state-by-state issue. And um, we wait and see as each state makes its decisions, has its, its amendments, its laws voted on. And uh, we got to pray, and we need to seek the Lord, and we need to stand for pro-life. Mike? I hope that answers it for you. It sure does. That's all I have. <laughs> well, good. We'll stay on the line. I'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy. Great for evangelism. Lend them out, get them back, lend them out, get them back. And uh, so we'll all be able to um, lay more treasure up for us in heaven. Stay on the line, uh, Eric. We'll get you taken care of. God bless you, and thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Tad, Kentucky. Hi, welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. How may we help? Um my question, I don't know if I need to explain well to you, but I'll try, I maybe can understand. It's uh, why God chose the title to Jesus as a son. Because when when you call a son, it's a person you make made that. Like you get together with your wife, you, you, your son born, uh, you, you make a, made a son. So the title. Well, that's very true. And, and Ted, your, your phone is really breaking up very badly. But the thing is, why was Jesus called the Son of God? Well, first of all, we know that he was the Son of God, and he was the Son of Man. It was through Adam, a man, that sold the world into slavery, and it was through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who redeemed man from the rare the, the things wrong that Adam did. It took a man to get us into this mess. It took a man to get us out of it. Now, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Now, I don't know how you can be 200% of anything, but Jesus Christ was. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, John eight fifty eight, John eight fifty nine. they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. This is a very important part of understanding who Jesus Christ is. He wasn't just another one of the prophets or another one of the greats, but he was God incarnate on earth, and he came to reduce and, excuse me, came to reverse what man did and to help us live a life of victory over sin. Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when we look to uh, the scriptures and Jesus being the son of God, he stepped out of heaven, put on the body of flesh, and became one of us. And being the son of God, God is eternal. And he presented himself in submission to the Father. And even the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Another time it says, hear him, of course. Uh, listen to him. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he says, pray, our Father who art in heaven. So we see the submission of the Son to the Father, and then the Spirit to the to the Son. The job of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 is to testify of Jesus Christ, bring glory to God, uh, to lead us into all truth. And and what happens then is we become in submission to the Spirit of God. So you see this order that's established in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then us being born again of the Holy Spirit, of which we now testify of Jesus Christ, of which we now pray to our Heavenly Father. And this is the order that God has so designed to display himself in three persons. And, uh, it's, 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 
it's very uh, relational for us because we understand fully the relationship of of parents or of a father with his son or with a daughter and so forth and we understand the roles of honoring your 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 parents as Jesus says hallowed be thy name speaking of the father that he is holy and righteous in all his ways so this is the the work of uh God uh, displaying himself as the eternal God the eternal father the eternal son the eternal spirit and then also the process of submission and obedience as we look to the Word of God. Mike? Amen. So I hope that answers it for you. And, uh, yeah, uh, now you now you explain, because God drew the tire son to him because of his nature, human nature. Right, because, because again, uh, if God would have came as God to redeem man of his sin, it was man that sold humanity into slavery. God's a very just God. God goes by the rules. This is why even the Jews in the Old Testament realized the meticulous need to follow the commandments exactly. The, the, the statutes like in Leviticus and, and Numbers, all those are very, very exact. The problem is no one could follow them. You see, God's standard is so high above man's abilities. That man cannot, it's not by works we're saved. It's not by keeping the law we're saved. That's why we had to have somebody come and apply their righteousness to us if we'll receive it. And so we go to heaven not because we're good, that we're good law keepers or anything like that. We go to heaven because Jesus fulfilled the righteous law of the Father, what was required for us to stand sinless before him. We can't do that in ourselves. That's only something that God can do for us. The gospel, always remember, is not what you should be doing. It's what God has done for you. And there's a big difference in that. Because otherwise, it's a works trip. Otherwise, you never really know, did I do enough to get saved? But when I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, but because Jesus Christ is good, to him be the glory forever. Big difference. Hope that helps. Stay on the line, and we'll send you out some DVDs, okay? Okay, now, because I was thinking, Jesus uh, and God, they coexist eternally. They never been created each other. God did create Jesus. Why he chose to call him son, if both exist since this is, uh, the beginning, and uh, no one created each other, so... That's how I say why God has to call him as a son. He's both is equal and divine and power and ever, ever, uh, they ever exist at the same time. Okay, Daryl, back to you one last time. Uh, it's breaking up a bit, but uh, once again, uh, we have the, the Trinity has been displayed to us through the Scriptures as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, it comes to that place of honoring and, and in submission to the will of the Father. The Son has stepped out of heaven to do the will of the Father, to bring us salvation uh, there upon the cross, the atonement of our sins through his precious, holy, and righteous blood, and, of course, conquering death through the resurrection. And this is what we see Jesus. Yet Jesus says, I and the Father are one, uh, meaning uh, meaning uh, divine, uh, equal in deity, 
and power. When you study the attributes of the Father, the attributes of the Son, the attributes of the Holy Spirit, you find that they are all three omnipotent, all three omniscient, all three omnipresent, and all three immutable. And and also you find, and you look at the character of God, that all three are, are full of light, all three are full of love, and all three are full of life. And and this is what we find. And, of course, you find the holiness and the righteousness within all three. Uh, and yet there is this process of submission that's displayed, the Father, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this is how God decided to uh, unfold and display himself for our benefit and our obedience to him. Mike? Amen. So I hope that works. Stay on the line, and we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. But again, Son of God, Son of Man. I think you'll enjoy that. Dad, stay in line. We'll get you fixed up. With that, we'll go to Julie in Fort Worth. Hi, welcome. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. And it's it's not so much a question as it is just looking for some pastoral advice. Um, I have an adult daughter that's choosing to live a lesbian lifestyle. And through the years, um, my faith has just grown stronger and convicted me that I just... I, I want to show her love, but I can't condone um, the lifestyle. And basically, she, it's, she hasn't really given me an ultimatum, but just pulled away. And I know going into the holidays, she's not going to want to attend family functions unless she can bring her partner. And I'm just looking for some advice as far as loving her and letting her know I love her unconditionally, but I can't support or condone the sin. Yeah, it, it, this is always a difficult thing. We we talk about it a lot in Christianity, uh, um, love the sinner but hate the sin. But sometimes when the sin is being flaunted, oftentimes um, by certain behaviors, this makes it very difficult to bring them into where, as an example, there's children, there's other things. It doesn't matter how much the American news media, Hollywood tries to portray that this is perfectly a normal lifestyle. The Bible clearly says that it's not. And again, if you read Romans chapter one, it clearly outlines that. Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, as we have to deal with this in, in our generation. Uh, I think as you make a stand and you, you love your daughter, if she wants to come home for Thanksgiving, that's fine. But to bring her partner, it's just, you know, you're not going to oblige that, uh, that relationship because you know, it's ungodly. And I think you're making the right, a righteous stand there. Tell her you love her, but this is just, it's not right. You know, the Bible teaches us to be, to not to be unequally yoked with the world. What fellowship has light with darkness and so forth. And so as, as we stand, make our stand, just keep telling you love her, but you, you've got to stand for God first because you love him first and foremost. And, uh, they'll get angry. Uh, they'll, uh, they may yell and scream. They may say, well, I'm never coming over again, whatever. But you, you got to just keep praying for them and keep praying for them and keep praying for them. And hopefully there'll be a breakthrough in the stronghold of Satan can be broken with their hearts and minds and the lust of the flesh of the Bible describes it in Romans chapter one will be broken and they'll come to faith in God. And just, you know, keep trying to reason with her. The Bible says, though your sins were scarlet, I'll make you as white as snow that come, let us reason together. And so keep trying to reason with her, but you can't accept the, the lifestyle into your home. It's just not right. And, um, that's, that's my opinion, Mike. Yeah. And, and I believe that by your, 
showing disapproval of this lets her know that she's on the wrong road. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think sometimes we need to stand for what's right or we don't stand at all. Again, I think to love the person but not endorse the sin, I think, is what it's all about. And so I think you can tell her, just as Daryl said, I think that was very good advice, Daryl, of, of saying, hey, listen, honey, I, we love you, but it, by you doing this, it makes it appear that we are approving what you're doing, and we can't. And if the Lord comes back and takes his church home, you're going to find yourself left behind. Read Romans chapter 1. And I think that's enough said. Because you never know how God will use what you say via the Holy Spirit to convict her heart, to cause her to repent, to get back in line again. Again, I don't know what caused this in her life. It sounds like she came from a pretty normal home. But we do know the powers of darkness are very powerful in an ungodly world. And I believe this is one of the reasons why God is uh, preparing the world for what we call the tribulation period. God pronouncing judgment on a God-rejecting world. You can violate God's rules all you want, but there will be a payday. You think, well, I'm getting away with it. Look, I did this sin. Nothing happened to me. Well, you're enjoying God's grace. You're enjoying God's mercy. But that doesn't mean you're enjoying God's long-term blessing, because there will be a judgment to pay. And so just to encourage her that you love her, I believe is so important. She's welcome at your house anytime. But just as somebody that was practicing some other thing that was not approved by you under your roof, you have to reject it. So I hope that helps, Julie. It does. Thank you so much. You know, we're just here to encourage you. And again, read Romans chapter 1. That's going to probably be one of the best strengths, you know, we get our strength from God's Word. We get our strength from brothers and sisters who read God's Word that tells us what the Bible says. And again, Romans 1 is probably one of the better places to take somebody because it was written to a group of Gentiles that their their culture, their society was completely de, de, uh, degenerating right before their very eyes. And we're seeing this very same thing. I always want to remind everybody, Rome was never conquered. Its borders were overran. Sound familiar at all? Take heed. Julie, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Maybe you can get her to watch them and just see what she thinks. Julie, our prayers are with you. Can we pray for you? Yes, please. Father, we just ask you that you would give Julie the right words, guided by your Holy Spirit, that would touch her daughter's heart to cause her to understand the longevity of your happiness in her life depends on your uh, word being kept in her life and in her heart. So may you give her the right words to say. We pray for a softening in this girl's heart. And Father, in Jesus' name, that you would intervene. Your word says, to touching any one thing, agree that you'll do it. And so all of us agree that you will do a great and mighty thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Julie, stay online. We'll send you out some books and DVDs. Maybe you can get her to watch them. Maybe uh, God of Wonders. Stay online. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Ray in Michigan. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. How are you tonight? Good. How many? Good. Uh, Thank you. 
good, man. I'm a geek to be on. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys so much. So my question is, is where in the Bible does it speak of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, like the books and verses? And if this happens during the rapture, when will those who get saved after, well, when they get saved, when will they go to the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ? Well, one of the things we understand, and we find this in both Romans 14.10 as well as 2 Corinthians 5.9, but Paul alludes to it many times all the way through, and the word comes from somebody that would set as the judge on a, like you might say, an Olympic game. And you're when you cross the finish line, you are awarded, you're judged the winner, and you are given these things. Now, something important to remember is the loser uh, was not beaten or sentenced to hard labor or anything like that. It was just simply that which things that were done with the right motive. The Bible talks about the wood, the hay, the stubble burns up. But the things that were done with the right motive carry an eternal reward. And the Bible says that even a cup of cold water in his name will carry a reward. Now, again, we can talk about people that might be in church, uh, you know, in a youth group or whatever, and they're there, you know, really to just attract a guy or a girl. Well, that's the wrong motive. You know, wiggling a $100 bill around before you drop it in the offering plate. You got your reward. The Bible says not to let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That doesn't mean to be dyslexic or uh, be disconnected. But what it means is that you do things because this is what God compels us to do, not to be seen of men, but rather understanding God sees it all. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when we look at, uh, there's a couple of interesting things about as, as a believer in Christ, we go to heaven. You know, one is we can look at Matthew 25, where the one was given to uh Two talents, he invests, gets two more talents, one's given five, get five more talents and so forth. And, and you find that, uh, they, when they enter heaven, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of the Lord. You've been ruler over a few things and now make you ruler over many things. So that's one aspect of rewards when it comes to going to heaven. And the other is, as Mike just shared, is, you know, out of, uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, you also find in first, uh, First Corinthians chapter three, verse 14 and so forth. And, uh, uh, what's the other passage? I think it's in Romans 14. You, you find that, uh, everything we do with the right motivation of heart for the Lord, he's going to reward us for it. It's, it's not, we're not being judged for sins. That was all done at the cross, but we're going to be rewarded for all the good deeds that we did for Christ to glorify our Heavenly Father, Mike. That's why the Bible says we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Some for eternal reward. Some to be eternally condemned, but so much better to be about our Father's business. We'll pick up your questions some more, Ray, on the other side of the break. We are on that break, and we'll be back for more right after this. CSN International. Good news for a change. Does the Bible seem too big, complicated, and overwhelming? There's a free Bible resource that's been around for more than 25 years and is used and trusted by millions worldwide. The Enduring Word Bible Commentary by David Guzik is a clear and simple way for everyday Christians and even seasoned Bible teachers to study God's Word. David's commentary not only breaks down the entire Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it also provides helpful quotes from well-known Bible expositors 
visitors throughout history. The commentary has also been translated into many languages, including Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, and more. Find the Enduring Word Bible Commentary as well as a free downloadable ebook called The King's Kingdom, a deeper look at the Sermon on the Mount by David Guzik at EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. That's EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. I believe that where God guides, God provides. I've always believed that. Yes, it takes money to keep CSN on the air, though not a Bible verse, but it does say he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Now, I thank God for every single person that contributes to CSN, whether they be a tower keeper, whether they support the programming that we have on CSN. Without all of you doing that, we can't exist. I talk to people every week who have been changed by listening to the radio. We're all in this together. If you feel CSN has been a blessing to you, Would you consider becoming a financial partner with our ministry? You can make a tax-deductible year-end donation by calling 1-800-357-4226. Or you can go online to csnradio.com and click on the Donate button at the top of the page. We'd like to thank you for listening and supporting CSN, where God's Word is heard. Back to part two of Terry Man Answer on this Thursday with Daryl Skinner in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we just want to once again encourage you to read your Bible every day. You know, being about our daddy's business is so important, and that inspiration that comes from the Holy Spirit through his word guides us each and every day. So if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're not a Christian, you need guidance in your life. The Bible says if we're not a Christian— if we can't truly say, our Father, which art in heaven, the Bible says you're illegitimate. You're, you're, you're making all the decisions in this life on your own without any help from God. You need His guidance. So we just want to encourage you to be about your Father's business, because again, redeeming the time, the days are evil. Going back to the phones, we had Ray on the line when we went to the break, and, um, you know, Daryl, one of his part of his question was, well, what about the tribulation saints? When is their reward seat? Now, this I think can be where we get into this God lives in all times present. And I don't exactly understand that because everything I know has a begin date, has an end date, whether it's us, our birth date or our death date or a gallon of milk or the length of how old our cars are. Everything I know has a date tied to it. But the Bible says in Revelation 22, he's Alpha and Omega beginning in the end, first and last. He lives in all times present. So it may very well be that because God knows all these things, that may be something that he allows and takes an account for. But everybody has that right to live out their life and the things done for Christ in Christ will last. Those things that aren't will be burned up. And if a person is not born again, cast in a lake of fire, which burns forever. Now, I know that's hard. I know a lot of people want to believe that. How could a loving God send somebody to hell? Well, God didn't send them to hell. We sent ourselves there by rejecting his goodness. We're living a standard on our own. We're determining what's good and what's bad. I had a call yesterday on or the day before 
here on Terry Man and Answer, every politician comes on saying they're going to make everything better. Who do you believe? What do you believe? Everybody's going to make it better. But better by whose standards? That's the question. Better from the devil's perspective or better from God's perspective? Well, you see, until we're born again, we hold the view, the philosophy of the world, and it's perishing. Daryl, your thoughts. When do these tribulation saints get their reward? Well, I would, I would have to, I'm just going to give a bit of a guesstimate that what, whatever anyone does as a believer in Jesus Christ for the good and the glory of God, they will receive something, uh, from the Lord as they live for Him and they serve Him and they honor Him. You know, it is interesting that when we come back uh, in the second coming of Christ as believers, we're going to be receiving our glorified bodies, of course, at the rapture. And then we'll, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, we'll be returning to the earth. And the Bible says in Romans 1, excuse me, Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5, that we're going to be a kingdom of priests on the earth. We'll be operating on earth and spiritually operating amongst the the sheep that did not take the mark of the beast, they have children, children, children during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we're going to be operating in that realm of uh, ruling over many things, ruling over a few things. So I, I believe that everything that everybody does in their this life, it, it's it's a process of rewards in heaven as well as rewards in in the in the millennial kingdom of Christ. And that would include the tribulation saints. So uh, they've come to faith in Christ. It's a short amount of time, of course. Because of the second coming, well, it's all going to be within that seven-year period. So, but everything they do for the Lord, God will reward and take care of uh, as He sees fit. And uh, I just leave it to Him, Mike. Amen. Being about our Daddy's business. Amen. Amen. That's what we want to do. Ray, hope that helps. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Ray, stay online if you like. Send out some books, some DVDs. Great for evangelism. Great to show your church. And um, so stay in line. Ray, we'll get you fixed up with that. Let's go to Kim, Bakersfield, California. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hi. I just want to make sure this is the right Kim. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thank you for taking my uh, question. Um, basically, it's this, and I hope it makes sense. It's something I've just been wrestling with around and around. And it's probably a simple answer, but I just don't have it. So when a child's conceived, you know, we know that babies and small children don't go to hell. I'm, I'm sure we can agree on that. But yes. well, what point, my question is, is our name entered into the book of life? Because we know if a child is aborted or dies or a small child dies, they automatically go to heaven. So are there names in the book of life at that point? Or because God is all-knowing and he knows who's going to choose or reject him, does he enter it at any point in time during that person's life? I don't know. It's just a strange conundrum for me. Well, Kim, again, you, you've asked that question that, that I think befronts all of us. Um, God does not live in time like we do. It's very clear. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Not I will be in the end or, or I was in the beginning. I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. When Moses was talking to the burning bush, saying, well, how will the people of Israel believe me? He said, tell them the I am sent you, not I was or I will be, I am, present tense. Again, this is something that we're not used to. When were was our names in the book of life? I believe from the foundations of the world. 
Again, this is because God lives in all times present. God does not learn. Oh, oh, I hope that person accepts me. Oh, no, no, no. They missed their opportunity. Oh, man. No, I don't believe God does that at all. He already knows. Somebody might ask the question, well, then why do we have to go through this zoo we call living if God already knows who ultimately make it and who don't? Great question. It's for our benefit. You see, we're going to rule and reign with him. And the experiences that we have here on this earth, the choices that we make, the consequences for the bad choices, the rewards for the good ones, I believe are all part of God's building into us that education to rule and reign with him. You see, the angels didn't have that. All they ever knew was the majesty, the glory of God, until Satan got a hold of their their uh, will, you might say, and the third of the host of heaven fell with him, the third of the stars. But when we look at really what we all live in, I believe God knows the beginning from the end. Uh, there's an old saying, God knows more about tomorrow than you remember about yesterday. Well, here's the here's the reason why. God is not a man that he has to learn. God already knows. And this is why in the Bible, when we go through it, we see he to whom he's predestined. That's all talking about from God's perspective, never from ours. Go preach the gospel to every creature. That's from our perspective. And so when we understand that just because God knows who uh, will accept him and who doesn't, doesn't stop any person from accepting or rejecting him. Again, you can't fault videotape for what's on the videotape declaring who the winner of the, uh, of the uh, a World Series was. Uh, all that doggone videotape. If that videotape ha- had been changed, uh, the, the Phillies would have won. Well, the problem is, is that all it does is record what happened. God already knows. So I believe that's why the Bible talks about our names are written in his books from the foundations of the world. Why we are predestined. Because not that God says, well, I'm going to predestine this one to go to hell. That's Calvinism. That's really bad doctrine. But when you understand that just because God knows the decisions every individual will make, because again, he lives in all times present doesn't mean that individual didn't have the right to make that decision. And because of those decisions, God isn't fully justified to say, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Why? Because God knew the decisions that Esau would make in his life where he could have made good decisions. He chose the wrong ones. Your thoughts? You know, as we look to this uh, book of life and Lamb's book of life, in the scriptures, uh, for example, Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, the Lamb's book of life, uh, they're, they're very much the same. Uh, as we look to our lives that we have in this world, we are given life. Uh, God gives us a spirit of life. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We are spiritually dead before God. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.1, he says, we are dead in trespasses and sins, but then we've come alive in Jesus Christ. And as you come alive in Jesus Christ, as you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you are written in the Lamb's book of life, and you have life. But when you, without Christ, without that salvation, and you die without him, 
you don't have life. You have eternal separation from God, eternal death. In fact, Jesus says, uh, hell, the lake of fire will be a place of darkness, a place of weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. It's a place of tremendous agony. And, and you realize there's no life with God. So to, the main thing is to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is by coming to Christ for salvation, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, come in your heart, admit you're a sinner, and have him, ask him to be your Savior. And then you are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's safe, and that's secure, and that takes care of you for eternity as you become a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but outside of that, there, there there's no salvation. Now, when you're talking about the le- the wee little ones and so forth, we we guesstimate the age of accountability could be around the age of bar mitzvah. Uh, it's kind of like when Jesus went to the temple that time and he was uh, there debating with the religious leaders and the parents were all on their way home and Jesus wasn't with them. So it's very, very likely it could be around that 13-year-old stage where there's that accountability that kicks in. And some even think it could be a little bit later. It's it's hard to say. But the Bible says no matter what, we're born in sin, and we need to be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit through our Lord Jesus Christ and his precious blood shed for our sins. So hopefully that helps you out. And uh, the main thing for everybody listening is come to salvation in Christ. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're good to go to heaven. Mike? Amen. And uh, again, sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Sinning proves what you are. That's why we need to be born again. Kim, I hope that helps. Yeah, really, it really did. It basically boils down to God's overarching omniscience, yes, that's the word, where he just knows. Well, yeah, and, and, and again, God lives in all times present, and I think that's so important to to understand uh when we deal with God um because again a lot of times people break the concept of God down to a human level where God learns and God does not learn God is God he all he lives all, again all this whole thing he's already seen that's why prophecy for God is not hard in the bible You'll find in all the religious books of the world, the one thing that's missing in all of them is prophecy. Where the Bible is one-third prophecy, two-thirds of those prophecies have already come true, and there's a remaining third there of that two-thirds that that will yet come, I believe, in the days very soon, concerning the tribulation, the Antichrist, the second coming of Christ, and uh, the millennial reign— and the eternal Jerusalem that we'll all live in someday. That's all important. But God doesn't learn those things. Well, I, I just hope it all comes out good, God says. No, not at all. God already knows where it's going, how it's going to get there, and what God has called us to do is occupy till he comes. Kim, stay in line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll enjoy, okay? Appreciate it. Thank you both. God bless, God bless you. Thank, thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Lamim, I believe it is, Lam in Hi. Lacey, Washington. Hi. Hi. Hi, Pastor. Um, my Aloha. question is in uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I just wanted to clear that is the rapture will be taken place before the wrath of God set in verse 12 of Revelation Chapter 6? Well, yes. And something you want to remember, dear, is that 
all of the tribulation period, all seven years are brought on by God. Now, in the history of human past, we've seen many things have been been brought on by humankind, been brought on by the devil. But when we get into this seven-year period of time, which God deals with the nation of Israel, and very clearly, this is the fulfillment of that 70th week of Daniel. Seventy seven-year periods of time have been determined upon the nation of Israel till all things are completed. In this, in the um, 69th year, Messiah will will be cut off, and so everything's been on hold for this last seven-year period of time we know is the tribulation period. God dealing with the nation of Israel and God dealing with an unrepented world. Two things. Now, the Bible says God's children, his bride, is not appointed to his wrath. This isn't brought on by the devil. This is brought on and allowed by God. And it's a big difference than the Second World War, uh, you know, any other war you want to insert there or any other plague or any other thing that might have happened. This is directly orchestrated by God, clearly outlined in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 6 of these events that will break out on the earth for that seven-year period of time. This is why I do not believe the church is here during that seven-year period of time. For Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage. And they didn't know that there was a catastrophe, a judgment called the flood that was going to happen in a matter of days. I believe it's the same thing it is today. We have people eating drinking, marrying, given in marriage, completely unaware that there is going to be a global judgment, just as it was in the days of Noah, that's going to affect the whole world. Now, that's where I believe Jesus said that when he says the coming of the Son of Man will be. This, I believe, is speaking of the rapture, because the second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation period, mere survival is all man will have, the the seas, the rivers, all have turned to blood. All the vegetation is burnt up. The only thing man can really generate at that point is war, and that's all happens in the Valley of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon. And when you stop to think about it isn't going to be, you know, uh, life is normal, uh, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. No, mere survival is all you're going to have at the second coming of Christ. So I believe that the second coming of Christ, as Jesus said, is so important because he said in Matthew 24, he also said, unless there's those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. In other words, man has so decimated the earth and, and God has brought these judgments that man will not repent for in their hardness of heart that it's interesting, you mentioned Revelation 6. Isn't it noteworthy towards the end of the chapter? It says, the people of the earth call out, the men of the earth call out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us, for the day of his wrath has come. Instead of crying out to God, they're calling out to Mother Earth. How ridiculous is that? Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says that we are to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath 
to come, speaking of the wrath of God and the seven years of tribulation. We also read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus speaks to the church of Philadelphia, a church that keeps his word and will not deny his name. He says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the from the hour of trial, speaking of the tribulation period, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. You know, it's interesting in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the word church or churches is used almost 20, roughly 20 times. And then we get to chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. We find that the church is in heaven of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. It's there before the throne of God, worshiping God. And then you get to chapter 6 through 19. Now you have the tribulation period. It's very important to understand God will not pour out his wrath upon the body of Christ. We, the church, are the body of Christ. Let me just add to that. God will not pour out his wrath upon the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And God is not, the Father is not going to pour his wrath upon the bride of Christ. We're going to be in heaven rejoicing with the Lord during the seven years of tribulation on earth. And the wrath of God is being poured out against all those who hate God, who follow Satan, who follow the Antichrist, who follow the false prophet, and they, and they of course, hate the Son of God. We're told that in Revelation chapter 2, as the nations and the kings and the rulers of this world will conspire together to come against God himself and against his Son. Very fascinating read there in Psalm 2, and a very prophetic reading uh, for our learning when it comes to the end times. So, Mike, I'll toss it back to you. Hope, hope that answers it for you. Yes, thank you, Pastor. It's very clear. God bless you all. Blessings bless to you. you. Stay on the line. Send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. And with that, we'll go to, we're going to go to someone here. Uh, we're going to go to Venetia, I believe it is, Palm Springs, California. Hi, welcome. Hi, Pastors. Hi, how may we help? Oh, thank you for taking my call today. Um, I, I'm a born again Christian. I've been for a long time and I'm very thankful and grateful. But my question on today is, I want to know why the Jewish people are the chosen people. I know that the rest of us are also blessed as well, but how come they're the chosen people? We all come from Adam and Eve. Shouldn't we all be? But it was through Abraham, the first Jew that God selected out, that said, through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, I believe there's a couple of reasons why, Phoenicia, and to answer your question. I believe it's so, first of all, we could track the lineage of Christ. I think that's the most important thing, because whenever Jesus said, when you search the Scriptures, uh, they are, you think you, you, you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. And and so I believe it's so we can actually see the lineage of Christ, that first of all, he had a legal right to the throne through uh, Joseph, and he had a blood right to the throne through Mary. We also know that he was fully God, and he was fully man. Now, it isn't because the Jewish people were so righteous and holy. In fact, if you follow a study of, of the Jewish nation, they are some of the most stiff-necked people in the world. 
God would do signs and wonders. All the signs and wonders God did when they came out of Egypt, only to find a few months later they're all dancing around a golden calf because Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. When you realize that that uh, the, the the nation of Israel was chosen not because they were good, just because God singled them out. I believe God singles out all of us as well. Do you want to be part of what I'm doing? Your thoughts? Yeah, as Abraham was one that heard the voice of God, listened to the voice of God, obeyed the voice of God, and the Bible says he had faith in God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness' sake. And thus, uh, uh, where, where the, if you will, the Gentiles around him, uh, they, they were not listening to God. They were not seeking God. They were seeking the stars. They were seeking the, 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 the sun God and so forth and, and idolatry and nature and so forth. But Abraham was one that believed that there was a creator God and he came to faith and God knew Abraham's faith. And thus you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. In fact, Moses writes, he says to his people, he says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth, of which then God continued to speak to the Jewish people because they would listen. Even though they had their faults and their failures, they would still come back and listen, and God would speak to them as the Torah, the law of, of Moses came on Mount Sinai and so forth. And then you have the, the Jewish prophets all speaking of the Messiah to come, Jesus himself being Jewish. Now, for us as believers in Jesus Christ today, uh, that goes from Jew to Gentile as believers, the Bible declares that we're all God's chosen people. In fact, it says we're a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a special people, uh, zealous unto good works, declaring the the praises of our God to uh, uh, of light in this dark world. So we discovered as we are all believers in, in God, Jew, Gentile alike, we're all God's chosen people. Mike? Amen. And so I hope that answers it for you, dear. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Stay on the you. line. I want to send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll just really, really enjoy. Great for evangelism and you know, if you're in a home Bible study or, you know, a Sunday school class, great to show a Sunday school class. I, I like to just get these out into everybody's hands as much as we can while we can, because, again, uh, it uh, presents the gospel. And sometimes ministering to our own family, our own friends and relatives is some of the hardest things to do. And so these can do a lot of the work for us. And so we'll We'll get those out to you, and I know you'll be able to use them in your in your uh, in your home there. And so, Venetia, thanks so much for for the call. And with that, I think we're about out of time. Yes, Jerry. we are. <laughs> it's been a Ray, good. Ray, Sean, Wilma, please call us back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. There's no waiting. And um, just to let you be about your daddy's business, that's why we're here to encourage you to do that each and every day. Daryl, again, thanks for being on. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. And so may the Lord keep you. Keep looking up. Our redemption draws away. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 
1-888-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 